mean I'm a hot rod man. Yeah, I'm a hot rod man. Look out, little mama, gonna get you. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter, and that's the Hot Rod Man by Tex Rubinowitz from Ripsaw Records, and we're using him every week now. I particularly like that song. Hopefully, you guys do also, and I want to welcome welcome you back to Idle Chatter, and uh, God willing, we will be moving forward now with the uh, Hot Rod Farmer Minute, which is like five minutes, right? So, <laughs> I guess it's my minute, right? Well, it used to be, as I said, it used to be a minute, a little bit more than a minute, and I decided to take that content a little bit longer, and then the bushels and cents segments, and we're going to be getting back on the road, right? On the road, we got a number of people lined up. Uh, we have Justin Forsee, uh, hopefully record with him, him sometime in November, and then we have uh, uh, two brothers, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, out in Iowa, and uh, their name, they should, well, respectfully, I shouldn't say their name escaped me, uh, Joel and Nathan. So they, it didn't escape me at that. Now it escaped me at that second because I was looking at my instrumentation, so I was distracted. And then hopefully we'll do something with John Nye out in Utah and uh, a couple other people. So we hope, God willing, we'll be rolling with that fairly soon now that I am... Uh, almost done being farmer ray almost but hopefully god willing everything is going well with you in your life and i know a lot of people are going into harvest right and that's what happens when you grow sweet corn that you're you're ending and everybody else is getting ready to begin so uh and when the farm show season is around that is all going on because those guys are in a lull and i'm in my heyday <clears throat> but i'm going to give you a harvest update before we get into the topic of today's show and uh let me see how can i put this uh i'll put it bluntly as i do everything in my life uh, hit it with a hammer right uh very very disappointed in the harvest this year um it seemed that everything that could you know in life you have something goes right something goes wrong two things go wrong three things go right or two things go right, one thing goes wrong, and it kind of balances out usually at the end. And uh, whatever that end that period is, whether it's the end of the week, the end of the month, the end of the year, or the end of your life. But this was a year on the Pohax farm where <laughs> very few things went correctly or went right. I'm not going to say that nothing did, and then a whole bunch of stuff went wrong, I shouldn't say a whole bunch of stuff, but more stuff went wrong than went right. So you know when that happens, it's like writing more, writing checks for more money than you have in your check yank account, right? That don't go well. They go boing, they bounce. So uh, that wasn't the case with bouncing checks, but it was a disappointing year as far as the farm was concerned. Uh, and uh, this, I'll give you a quick rundown on that as quick as I possibly can if you, you probably don't recall but we only did six plantings this year three in one field three in the other i usually like to try to do between eight and ten plantings i think once i hit ten plantings uh but usually it's eight or nine plantings and i stagger them because it's fresh market sweet corn too obviously you can't have everything come due at one time as as a person a farm supplying a cannery or something excuse me would want to do 
So we have to stagger that. And I had those obstacles with the first three plantings with the slow emergence. And 27 days for the first one. I think 21 or 22 for the second planting, about 18 and 19 days for the third. So that pushed my, it's like I, like I told people at the farm stand that it's like connecting flights, right? If you're, if you're all, if the flights are all backed up, if you miss one flight, then all the connections fall apart on you. And I could not do much about that. That is why I did less plantings, uh, because I just, I needed to get it in quicker because I was running out of calendar. And then the other field, the larger field, I put only three plantings in, and that was the field where I had to go to that that seed that I never planted before called obsession. And, you know, when you look, I looked online before, I've heard of obsession, and I'm not going to give it a black eye, but it is not my traditional seed that I plant. So, and as I said during my harvest shows that Charlotte and I were going to, were very worried about it, or I was probably more worried about it than she was. And I just mean because I just, uh, Charlotte worries about a lot of things, but she doesn't worry about stuff like that. The things that were a perfect couple because the things she worries about doesn't bother me. And I'm going to say the things that I worry about doesn't bother, I'm not going to say it doesn't bother her, but it's really not on her worry barometer. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I was very worried about it. And I said to the customers as we transition from the one harvest to the next, I said, I got, we got to eat this for a couple of nights first before we know. And and I have to honestly say that the first planting of that, because there was three plantings of obsession in the other field, and the last planting of obsession went in July 3rd, right? I mean, anybody who's heard the old thing, knee high by 4th of July, well, improper English to drive the point home. It ain't going to be knee-high by 4th of July if you're putting the seed in the ground July 3rd. So the first two, the first planting, we, we, it, was, it was good. It was, I don't think it was as, I feel very confident it wasn't as good as our traditional variety that we grew, uh, butter and sugar, I think they call it. And, uh, but it was good. And we also, I'm just recapping this, we also go in around and taste everybody else's corn. And I have to honestly say it was not as good as our traditional hybrid, but it was it was it was just as good or better and I have to say a slight a slight positive edge, slightly better than anything that we tasted from the area at four or five different farms. So we felt confident going into it and we printed up a I typed up a nice note with Charlotte and she ran it. We have a copy machine here in my office. And I mean, a, a legitimate copy machine, not a fax machine or something. We're running copies through. And uh, I think it's a cryocera. That's what it is. Like, I think that's how you pronounce it. But it's a good copy machine. So we ran stuff through. And then what we would do is when people would buy corn, customers would come, we would give them, you know, with the corn, we'd also give them this little flyer that we printed out saying this is a different corn than we traditionally grow so it was good and like i say it was it was it was good but what a couple of things i did find out about it though and i don't know i'm not gonna blame the corn right i'm gonna blame i don't know what i'm not gonna blame the corn and i can't blame myself even though i would love to because my personality is every problem in the world somehow comes rooted back to me in my mind that if I would have done this and this this ten years ago, then maybe there wouldn't be, uh, you know, this happening in the world, and which is a, a cross that I bear in my life and have to constantly give it to the Lord. But 
And what happened was that I found that there was a level of inconsistency in the taste of the corn uh, through the field, through the one that through each planting, where you'd go, and this one would be really, really good, and this one would be all right. I mean, it wasn't bad. It would be, it would be good. It would be okay. Uh, but you know, I wouldn't brag about it. I'd say it's more, it's a little bit more than commercially acceptable. Whereas our traditional variety was not that way. Traditional variety was always, no matter where I went in the field, no matter what, in the, in it, it had, it was like a, a like a my copy machine, boom, 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 boom. As far as its taste quality is concerned, and interestingly enough, the um, the stalk health looked beautiful. Uh, this this obsession made made corn like a freight train. Oh my god! All right, uh, it had much better weather conditions and had you know good weather conditions, or so I thought, and it made made corn like a freight train. And like I said, it had you would basically say if if it were an engine I was working on, make it very simplistic, that it was a sloppy setting with the spark plugs. So let's say that the spark plugs, uh, that the range for the gap is between 32 and 36 thousandths. And then you pull eight spark plugs out. And this one is a 32. This one is 36. This one is 34. This one is 35. The next one is 35. The next one is 37. So it's within range, but sloppy. All right. And that's what I felt about this obsession sweet corn. That the taste was good. Some of them tasted better than the others. Uh, and I didn't understand that. And you always get some variability through the field, but this had a wide range of variability. And as a farmer, and you would know that you tasted raw, right, where you pick it, so, and then obviously you take some home and you cook it and taste it because you have an onus of doing that. If you're going to be dealing with the public, I'm not going to be, you know, uh, selling someone corn that I don't know what it tastes like. I mean, obviously I can't taste every ear, but I could take it, make a sampling in the field while I'm picking. And then I could also sample while I am uh, every evening for supper. We could each have have a, have one. And um, so, and, and when you do that lots of times, you'll you'll cook up four or five ears. You may not eat them or you take a bite of this one, bite of that one, and then give it to the raccoons because it's like a wine tester. You can't be just sit there and eat 500 years of corn every night. But you want to feel confident in what you're, in what you're harvest, harvesting and selling because, as I said in one of my harvest shows or before, is that we do this to the glory of God, to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if I'm not aware of that, it's like a person, a mechanic, who never looks under the hood. So it kind of bothered me with this, with this um, variability within specification, we'll say, in the field. So uh, the people accepted the corn. A lot of them loved it. <clears throat> it uh, it's very hard for somebody to quantify. And, well, they can't quantify, they can't put a number up, but to qualify and possibly quantify, give it a rating, all right? one year to another you just know well, that guy's got good corn or that guy's got good pizza or that guy's got a good hamburger right and so and you don't go there all the time so you say yeah, you know the hamburger is good but you don't you don't remember so anyway to make a long story short 11 minutes into this so the first and second plantings <coughs> excuse me of obsession what, 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 you know, went well i was i was i was uh satisfied with it and, and ha happy it wasn't i wasn't hanging my head down and saying oh my god we gotta you know 
So I wasn't hanging my head down. If I were going to hang my head down, I would not. I would not market it. And then uh, the bears really hit me hard too. <laughs> uh, that's fine. God bless them. It's God's corn. And uh, but by the house the other day, they were two nice. They looked like they were siblings, and they weren't. They're probably about a year, a year and a half, maybe. I don't think two years old. So I think they stay with their mothers for a year or two. But sadly, if, I don't know if you recall, but uh, back in the early summer, a bear did get hit by a car on our farm. Well, obviously not on the farm, but on died on you know, off the road onto our property on the farm. And I don't know whether that was a male or a female. But the other day, right by the house, I came out of the garage, and these two guys are standing there. And I'm going to respectfully say that they had that i mean i'm saying because it 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 pains me to use this word to describe them because it's not what i mean but you know like like the cartoon character goofy but i just had that goofy look on their face you could tell they're young they're innocent and the world's exciting and they get this innocent goofy look both of them on their face and they weren't and they were right over there by came out of the garage i said what are you guys doing over here I said, yo, yo, come on, you know, I said, I said, you're welcome here all the time. And they're standing there looking at me and they get that, and that look almost like a smile on their face. And that's why I felt that they were, that they were siblings because they were almost the exact, they were probably the exact same height and looked the same and they weren't too big. I'd, I'd have to guess they're probably 300, 350 pounds. So they said, you guys eating all the corn? And so they were eating, a lot. they and I guess other bears were eating a lot of corn and uh so things were going along and then we got into the third planting started to transition to the third planting and then we found by god's grace uh we found through a customer which is lots of ways the worst way to find something out in any business is that you want to find it on your own you want to find it find it from a customer and it's a very nice lady she's been a long-term customer of ours she lives a couple miles away and to make a and what basically is happening and i don't understand how it happened because the husk on this corn was so tight you practically needed to come along to peel it so uh i mean unbelievable i mean you'd be like you take the two husks the husk was so tight and uh and you know people say that, that they uh that a tight husk is good for a lack of earworms well this well late corn like this and we don't spray anything and there's no insect protection so it was loaded with earworms but anyway but what had happened to make a long story short is that the moisture or i should say not the moisture moisture got between the husks because as you know when you, you have the outside husk and you get the thinner almost like wax paper you could see through husks uh closer to the kernels and the moisture got through the husks and started to it almost looked like it was like a leak in a roof and the water and the moisture the water got down there and it would start to deteriorate and rot the corn the thing basically is is that on the outside it looked perfect beautiful all right I mean, you feel hard, solid, I mean, full, tip fell, beautiful. And uh, she brought it back and she showed, she wanted to tell us about it. And then uh, subsequently, I went in the field and started to pull them back because the night before, the ones that we had weren't that way. But what had happened was that in this third planting, not only was that an issue, 
but the taste completely went away. I mean, completely went away. I mean, it was a couple of them were actually awful. Right? And we've grown corn on this same ground since 1978, since I was a kid. I picked my first ear of corn in 1978. Then we used to grow Silver Queen, and we have never, we've had, yes, crops that were tastier than other crops and things, but we never had an awful tasting corn. And I don't know whether the moisture got in there, and it was start, and then some of them, when you had the moisture, you could actually, if when you pulled it back, you could smell it fermenting. So it was very, very bizarre what happened. But Charlotte, as soon as we found out from this lady, and you know, when she told us, and uh, I went in the field and confirmed it. I mean, not that I, not that I, not that I wasn't trusting her. Confirmed it that we pulled the plug on the harvest, the corn. So. There's tens of thousands of ears of beautiful, beautiful looking on the outside corn that I am just going to cut down and let the animals have it. But interestingly enough, this third planting, the bears have not hit. hit. They stayed in the first and second planting. So <clears throat> I don't know what is going on with that. Uh, everything is the same, uh, the same nothing is different i mean nothing is different other than the weather uh then when the weather during you know from july 3rd to now when i planted that but in all my years i've never seen that where you pull a husk back and you could actually see and then it, it bizarre very very bizarre a lot of bizarre things happening in this world today and uh i have my own theories on them but we were very <laughs> You know, if you're listening to this show, I'm not saying if you're listening, obviously you're all listening to it, right? But I don't want you to think, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, that it's the financial loss that I'm worried about. Right? It's I'm not made of money. We're not made of money. Yes, uh, did the farm make money this year? Probably not. At best, it may be broke even with all the obstacles we had. At best. So this will be the third year in a row uh, the other two years, uh, last year we definitely was a loss. Uh, the year before was maybe a little bit broke even, and I mean by break even on the input costs, not on the labor, all right, the input costs. And then this year maybe broke even on the input costs. We worked for free, and that's fine. Uh, it's not fine. I'm not happy about it. And so... Don't think that it's a fight when I'm saying that I'm very disappointed. Obviously, I'm disappointed in that aspect, but I'm disappointed that there is the potential that I sold innocently, unknowingly sold people corn that was that was not good. And that bothers Charlotte and me to no end because we want to do this to glorify God and even though I did it innocently, I have to feel that the first two plantings were fine. I just thought to get into this third planting when the lady came around and showed it to us. And uh, and uh, that bothers me to no end. I mean, here it is. I'm trying to glorify God and I'm send, selling somebody corn that's, but that's, 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 that's fermenting inside, all right, and looks beautiful on the outside and is not old. I mean, it's not old. So very, very bizarre. 
scenario. And then, you know, once again, I have found out that people that are agronomists, people that in, from the seed companies, the agronomy companies, I mean, the agricultural companies, know little to nothing about sweet corn. Little to nothing. All right. And if they tell you, well, something is labeled to use on sweet corn, all that means is it doesn't kill a plant. All right. So that's what I have found out. They even said to somebody from FMC, I said, well, you've, you're labeling this. You mean it just doesn't kill a plant? You have no idea on what it does on the taste. So very disappointed with that. Uh, sincerely prayed that the Lord would, would have not allowed anyone to get to get corn that was that was bad i mean and we had some of them in this third planting they looked beautiful they didn't have any moisture problem and they were terrible terrible to taste and it was from the same bag of seed the same lot of seed so and then uh it was so inconsistent but it seems that the inconsistency got worse when and then the, the quality of the taste got worse so that is where we're at with it it was a disappoint it was it was very very disappointing and heartbreaking but not for the financial aspect of it because you could always recuperate from the financial aspect of it you could tighten your belt or do other things but i don't want to disappoint charlotte doesn't want to disappoint somebody i don't want to disappoint somebody i don't want somebody to say that guy's full of crap that corn is terrible you know what i'm saying and honestly some of these that i picked just before i did this show and we cooked them and ate and, and tasted them not ate them tasted them uh, they weren't terrible but but uh you would have gotten better corn in the supermarket that sat there for five days and i don't understand what it is but you know in the scriptures it in first thessalonians and i wrote it down here so i don't mess it up first thessalonians 5 verses 12 to 18 we are instructed to rejoice always pray without ceasing in everything give thanks for this is god's will for you in christ jesus and it, that is a a statement in the scriptures that is very very hard to grasp and to wrap your arms around because you say well you know whatever my, my loved one just got into an accident you know and the, the bible's like well let's rejoice in it because that's that's god's will or, or you know my my loved one just died or this happened or i just lost my job or, or a whole multitude of things and that's not what it's about and so we're, we're supposed to we're supposed to rejoice in christ walking with us through this we're supposed to rejoice in 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 have being able to bring our concerns and our, our to the lord to the lord in prayer we're supposed to rejoice in that all right not rejoice in something that's that's bad and obviously if somebody has cancer or they lost a child this happening with the crop is 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 nothing right all right possibly giving somebody uh, 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 awful tasting corn so uh, but it is supposed to motivate us to also realize that ultimately everything is in god's control and even though i prayed sincerely we prayed sincerely over the crop for some reason he allowed this to happen and we will just and you know hopefully god willing that he heard our cries and didn't let anybody get it and that is basically that so what can you do and that is life and uh, that is the uh the 
the struggles of a farmer, right? Especially, you know, when you grow grain or something, it's a different type of struggle. You're looking at yield and you're looking at things of that nature and then the market, Chicago Board of Trade. But when you're giving somebody or selling somebody and dealing, even giving it to them, give and I have I have customers right now that we put up a sign, boy, it's a Mickey Mouse sign I put up. Oh my God. I mean, it looks like a kindergarten eroded, but it wanted to tell people what was going on. And I had a number of customers that had orders and then for corn and freezer orders, about 500 years. And I told them, look, is this, and they still want the corn. I said, look, I am not going to take a penny for this corn. I said, I will not take a penny for it. I'll give it to you. So the next day or two, before I cut it down, I have to go and um, and get about five, six hundred ears for people. And they said, "Oh no, we'll take a chance. We'll take a chance. We'll take a chance." I said, "Look, I said that may be lousy." <laughs> well, they want so I said, "I'm not taking a nickel from you." So, God willing, that corn that they get, the majority of it is good. And and you know the, the silver lining for this is that the animals, the deer, the raccoons, the squirrels, the mice, uh, will have a lot of corn to fatten them up before the winter so that is gonna that it's the it's gonna make me happy to see that as a farmer if you have a cut down crop with ears on it not not for silage but cutting it down with a rotary cutter and the the big beautiful ears are flying all over the place it's it puts a certain thing in your gut it purchase puts a certain thing in your inner soul that you're cutting beautiful green corn down with beautiful ears on it that you know that can't that 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 just that you're doing the right thing right you're doing the right thing but then when you see the deer in there eating it and the animals eating it and you come back in the field then you see they peel it back and they ate it all and you know that at least something good became of your loss so that is uh that is what it's about but anyway sorry to bend your ears so much with that but i know a lot of you not all of you but a lot of you and i say that respectfully were interested to know how the harvest went out and you know i'm a straight shooter well you know people when i did you know, years ago i did some i did i i did training for snap-on all right meaning i didn't i, I was training the training their customers all right with on scanners and everything so i have i was introduced to the snap-on and what this they flew me out to chicago they had a limousine pick, i'm not bragging they had a limousine picked me up at, i think it was o'hare because there's two airports in chicago and they took me up to uh um kenosha wisconsin which is about an hour's ride from where the airport was in illinois and uh put me up in a nice hotel and i spent a week there but anyway so uh learning their equipment to do training seminars so but you know they immerse you in that snap-on tools um mindset and if you ever, if it's maybe somebody is a snap-on tool guy no disrespect they have great hand tools uh <clears throat> the blue point line is never is not made by them it's probably made all in china now but anyway so but back then it was it was just not made by them but they actually instruct you in the snap-on academy if they didn't call it that but snap-on when the guy becomes a snap-on dealer that you, you that no matter what is happening in your life when you go into a customer right 
you go into this guy's repair shop, the car dealer, tractor dealer, whatever, and you know, and the guy says, "Hey, hey, Ray, how are you? Great." <laughs> he used to tell you to accentuate, like Tony the Tiger. Great, you know, how are you? Everything is great. How's business? Great. How's life? Great. Everything that they they had <clears throat> a very psychological approach of you telling your customer that everything was great. And uh, I said, that's crazy. Oh, the guy just got a, his wife just got diagnosed with breast cancer. I'm great. Right? Well, I don't do that. So as I told you in the harvest shows, if the corn stinks, it stinks. If I failed, I failed. If this happened, if the engine blew up, it blew up. And that's basically what it is. But I do have to say, I had no machinery problems during harvest. So everything was was right on the money so at least i'm happy and proud about that right or i should be right i'm the hot rod farmer if my machines break down what good is that and you shouldn't be wasting your time listening to it. but anyway back with this lucy talk here and uh, so we pulled the plug on the corn october 5th and uh didn't cut it down yet i gotta pick these ears for these people and just go to then that whatever and there's a lot to do so this is the first year i'm not planting cover crops and uh for, i'm not gonna go into that story but for 15 years in a row i planted cover crops but i'm not doing any cover crops this year and so what happened was that Charles says why don't you go get a haircut i said yeah i gotta get a haircut so uh i look like the wild man of borneo right uh with from the harvest for so many weeks without going to get a haircut like i think i'm my last haircut in august and honestly probably to a lot of people i didn't look i mean i'm no adonis but you know when you have a <laughs> flat top crew cut like i have one and a half on the sides that's the that's the buzz cutter number i know that and uh that you know when you no matter how long you wait for your hair to grow and you don't look like a wild man of Borneo, but you do, but to yourself and to your wife, you do. So I said, all right, so I jump in the car. I'm going to go get a haircut. And I'm, I'm at the barber shop I go to is in Great Meadows, New Jersey. It's, uh, it's not my old barber shop. He went out of business. That was in Oxford, New Jersey. And uh, but anyway, so I'm going there and I have the sink system. I have the Fiesta. And the phone come, you know, rings, the cell phone rings. Oh, the heck, probably a customer calling. Because we do use the, I do use that cell phone for, for the farm also. And uh, I see it's a 201 area code, which is in a, a traditional older New Jersey area code. So, you know, I answer the phone. And uh, the way you see the numbers, it comes up on the dashboard. So anyway, I'm sure 99.9% .9 of you have newer things than I have. So you're quite cognizant of that. But anyway, so I uh, so I go, hello. And it goes, he goes, hi, this is whatever. Uh, let's all make up his name. This is Joe from Verizon Service. So I said, oh, hi, you know, what can I do for you? She says, oh, she says, I'm here to fix your phone. And if you listen to my, if you happen to listen to my show, I had, I went to this, this consumer cellular home base box. And so I said, you're here to fix my phone. He says, yeah, but when I got here and I plugged in, it said that, uh, I got that, it says that the service has been disconnected. He says, you, you, you made a service call back in August. 
I said, yeah. And so he was very, very nice. I spoke to him on the way to the barber shop, and I told him, I said, look, I said, then he said, he said to me, yeah, it's old copper. I said, he says, I live in a rural area too, and they don't want to do anything with the copper. He says, how do you like that consumer cellular deal? So he had a Verizon guy who wants to go to it. But I thought it was so funny that that here it is, that from the middle of August, it was October 6th, now they're coming. He says, yeah, somebody was supposed to come on September 9th, but they never showed up. I said, yeah, I know. I'm still waiting for them. So he says, I'm, I said, well, it's, it's, it's not your fault. So I thought that was quite, quite comical, right, that uh, that nobody came to look at that uh, or, so, or any communication. And then so he says, okay. Uh, I said, so I guess I said, I'm on the way to the barbershop. He says, well, there's no need for you. You know, I said, the line is disconnected anyway. So about five minutes later, I get a text from Verizon. It says, good news, we fi- fixed your telephone. So uh, un- what a messed up company that is. Un- un- unbelievable. What a messed up company. So, all right, a half hour into it, 32 minutes, I've been telling you my life story and what's happening over here on cat swamp road but what we're going to talk about today is some of the things that you need to do to get things around your house your farm your machinery ready for winter right because it's already october so it's time in some parts of the country, maybe up in Montana and then uh, in Canada. It's already starting to get cold, and you may start to be getting some some uh, potential of a little bit of snow. So I'm just going to give you a laundry list of things that I do over here on the Bohax farm. All right, and I know lots of guys are in harvest, right? So you're not going to be able to do much of this stuff right now. You maybe have to do it afterwards. But there's a lot of things that people commonly neglect as they go into winter and uh with equipment and uh with just other things on the farm all right so here is a couple here are some things that i like to do on our farm well first of all we oh i want to i want to uh i want to thank bruce bruce j for letting me know a couple of weeks ago about uh the recall notice on the generac portable generators and uh according to generac that mine was not one of the recalls i guess they catch fire or something everything catches fire today right the electric cars catch fire the the, the 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 gasoline cars catch fire everything catches fire but uh according to generac but also according to generac that vietnam is part of the united states because interestingly enough they still have on their website that my model generated gp8000e is assembled in the united states and it's assembled in vietnam so all right so that's basically it so according to them i'm not in the recall so who knows if it catches fire then we'll say i guess they were wrong just like vietnam is not part of the united states but thank you for that bruce but anyway what i'm what i like to do is i like to just give my well, I have two backup generators now, right? I have the, uh, the the original Briggs and Stratton, which Jim Condon got got taken care of for me, where it was just too much shrink tube on an eyelet, which over time caused a problem. And then I have the new Generac. So I like to go through those. I like to fill them up with gas, and I fill them up with gas, and I also use 
the Tecron, I believe it's the small engine and motorsports uh, additive in the gas. It is a it is a fuel stabilizer. I know, so you say you never like fuel. Well, it's a fuel stabilizer, right? But it also has the Tecron, the benefit of Tecron, where it keeps the carburetor clean, the intake valve clean, the the, the piston crown clean, and the combustion chamber clean. So I I like to fill up both units with. Uh, with gasoline fresh gasoline and i usually wait for after october 15th or 16th like the third week of october to fill them up because here in new jersey that is supposed to be then again supposedly right like vietnam is supposed to be made in usa uh when we transition from summer blend gasoline in new jersey to winter blend and the reason why that is important is that the aromatic content of winter gasoline is different so that it has more combustibility in extremely cold weather and the negative of that is that 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 different level of aromatic content does not like hot weather but on a vehicle or car unless it's something that you don't use then it's not going to be an issue so i like to fill it up with after the middle of october so what i'll do is i'll fill both units up they take eight gallons each and uh they each run about 12 to 14 uh hours on a tank of fuel so now since i have the two generators in theory i should have 24 hours worth of constant running uh of of if the power goes out and then i like to also fill up at least two more gas cans one for each well not necessarily one for each unit but two more gas cans with the treated fuel so i like to do that and then what i'm then what i like to do also is take those generators because you do i do exercise them through the year but i pull them out of the garage put them in the good in the nice day it's october is a nice time to do this if you have the opportunity not harvesting and um, go through them wash them put another fresh coat of wax on it put a wrench on everything there's a frame ground on lots of those so i look at that frame ground and i'll take it off and i'll scotch right in and put it on there i go around i snug stuff up with a wrench or with a screwdriver whatever it happens to be start them up i put a load on them when i run them i use a 1500 watt space heater a little portable heater and i'll run them and then i'll use my meter and i'll check the total i have to get back from jim condon uh, but uh, the total harmonic distortion i'll check the hertz the frequency and i'll check the voltage output all right so you want to take that and, and you want to and i'll uh, i'll check the battery on them uh charge the battery whatever needs the the uh, briggs and stratton has a float charger which i keep on all the time and what a lot of people don't realize because years ago we had trickle chargers and a trickle charger is just like it says it's a trickle like a faucet that keeps dripping drip 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 but very little electricity is going into the battery whereas a float charger in theory is supposed to maintain to maintain the charge in the battery and shut off and turn on and shut off and turn on as need be versus a trickle charger well what had happened was that with the generac they give you a trickle charger they don't give you a float charger and i so they tell you every three months to charge the battery so what i'm going to do is i'm going to go to harbor freight 
because I haven't charged that battery for a while. And, you know, and you know, the Briggs and Stratton, they gave you a float. You kept it plugged in all the time. Right? You didn't have to worry. Never had a problem, right? So I'm going to go to Harbor Freight and I'm going to buy a, um, a, a float charger and permanently mount that with the connection onto the battery. And then I could just keep that on a float charger instead of a trickle charger and say, oh, geez, because it does get cold here in the winter and whatever. It's just, it's just a much better way of doing it with a float charger. And then I'll check everything, go around it, uh, change the oil again on it, wax it, wax it all and put it back, put them back under the workbench where they belong. And God willing, we never need them. But if we do, we will be all ready to go because we have the uh, the full house transfer switch right in the garage. And I have it right by the garage so I could put the generator in, put the manual transfer, plug it into the manual transfer switch, put the generator by the garage door or outside, and then the exhaust is going outside. We have no problem. So that's one thing that a lot of people don't think about doing all right same thing goes if you have a snowblower right now is the time and you know those things that i'm telling you are not no rocket science here by 99 percent of the people do it but it's so easy to kick the can down the road because life is busy and you say, oh yeah i mean i'm gonna do that i meant to adjust the valves right and i'm gonna do that and you never get around to doing it and then all of a sudden things things the weather turns bad and you need it or the power goes out and you need it or something so you know do the same thing with your snow with your snowblower go through your snowblower you know change the oil treat the fuel fill it up clean the carburetor right i mean the so check your belts you know grease it if necessary make sure you have have some extra shear pins for the auger all right if you have a two-stage snowblower all right so you know get all that let it you know, get it running run it all around check a lot of people are terribly neglectful checking tire pressure on the snowblower the other guy i put a new spark plug and i changed the oil and i did this and that and 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 i'm not a big proponent of changing the spark plug to tell you the truth all right so i take the spark plug out all my spark plugs have anti-seize compound in the threads i look at the central electrode i look at it with a magnifying glass there's a nice color i check it and there's no wear there's no use me changing a spark plug if everything runs fine so you know so do so do that if you use an electric start make sure the electric start works and get that all ready and if you can lubricate your cables on the snowblower uh then that lots of times they're hard to lubricate you may have to try to disconnect it let's say like from the clutch from the dead man switch and then you know and then hold it up and put some spray some clear silicone down there or whatever but you know look it over tighten stuff up tire pressure tighten things up on the engine tighten the carburetor up tighten all that up uh and then make sure you know the things that you can that that are not greasable but you can that move let's say like the hand like the the levers on the on the handle then you know spray silicone is is wonderful for that you know it gets in there and gives a little bit of lubrication and works smoothly so don't forget to do that we're not even talking about cars or trucks or farm tractors yet right don't forget to i mean 99 percent of the people probably who are listening to this have a well and a well tank don't forget to service your well tank and uh, that's another thing that's often neglected throughout the year but our well tank is in the basement of the house right we have a submersible pump a uh 
what the heck are those? I, forget, a, I think it's a Gould uh, submersible pump. It's in our well. Is I think three, if I remember correctly, three hundred forty-seven feet deep. And uh, you know, people. I was out west once, and I was talking to somebody. Said, "You know, how is it to get? So you got a deep, dig a deep well, two hundred fifty feet deep." I said, "I'm three forty-seven. I'm in New Jersey. I'm sixty miles from the ocean." So anyway, uh, but there's there's people in Warren County that have nine hundred foot deep wells. But anyway, but mine is three forty-seven. We'll say use that number, which is actually a stroke or Ford engine, three forty-seven. It's under three fifty, and I think my pump is in at two twenty all right so you know check your well pump over and uh now obviously mine is submersible i can't do anything to check it but what you can do is if you have a clamp meter you could go from the pressure switch to the power going to the well pump and with it very safely not touching anything not violating a circuit go with a clamp meter and when the pump and evoke the pump drain run some water to evoke the pump and see what the inrush current is and see what the running current is on that motor all right so and the specific you'll have the specifications you, you, you when the when the well if you have a submersible then they whoever put it should have given you the specifications and i put it right on my well tank which is in the basement so i tape it there so i have it so if the thing is supposed to be drawn whatever 20 amps we'll say right mine's two 240 volts so probably a little bit less than that but 20 amps all right the thing is that you see this sucker is starting to draw 25 28 amps all right then yeah you got water today but is this going to be an issue and i'm not saying go out and buy a new well pump for two thousand dollars but it's nice it's like looking underneath the hood right and then pay attention and pay attention to your uh pressure switch because you know it's the hysteresis on those pressure switches are 20 pounds so if it's a 30 50 all right that the the well pump is supposed to is, is supposed to evoke uh at uh at 30 pounds of pressure and then shut off at 50 i have a 40 60 all right so mine comes on at 40 pounds of pressure when the, when the well tank comes down to 40 and goes off at 60 if your well pump is short cycling all right short cycling that's usually an indicator that you do not have enough residual pressure against the bladder in your well tank so and to and so you, you're supposed to drain the well tank all right at least once a year people haven't done it for 20 years all right uh drain the well tank get all the water out of it take a tire pressure gauge one that is accurate all right that's always the case right all right and there's a schrader valve on the top of the tank usually with a cap on it take that off and check your well tank pressure so if it and it's got to be two pounds underneath the cut-in so mine is a 40 40 60 cut-in switch all right and so that means i should have 38 pounds of residual air pressure against the bladder right when the tank but the tank has to be empty you have to drain the tank out to drain the tank so shut off your well pump drain the tank and i know i'm preaching to the choir with this but it's so easy to forget this and you specifically don't want to have a problem especially if you're in a northern climate you don't want to have a problem where you the i mean yeah the well pump could fail regardless right i mean something the pressure switch could fail regardless but the fact of the matter is is it's like anything you say well my motor can blow up right in my car well it can but if you never check the oil never do this and if you do those things 
right? And if you confirm that that the amperage draw is within specification using a clamp meter, you confirm that your that your that your pressure switch is within range, and your tank is and your and your residual air pressure in the tank is that's really all you could do at that particular point. I mean, unless you have a filter coming in there, which we don't have a filter. So that's all you could do at that particular point. Lee, you said in this way, if something does happen, you could just like I did, like with my corn, whatever happened, happened to it. It was nothing that if, if God turned the clock back and said, hey, hey what, you know, what would you do different? So this third, this last planting, you know, didn't, didn't deteriorate like it did. There was nothing that I would know to do different other than hopefully have the first planting come up sooner so that I could be, so I could have had better weather. But that's nothing that I did wrong. Right, so uh, so don't forget about that well tank, and then also don't forget about your heating system, whether you have a gas-fired heater or whether you have oil. We heat with oil, with heating oil, and we have a boiler, as you're well aware. A boiler is baseboard hot water, right? Whereas a furnace, a furnace is hot air. So is, if you didn't realize that, then you could have an oil-fired furnace, or you could have a natural gas or propane-fired furnace, and you could have an oil-fired boiler or, or burner. So you could so basically, let me put my tongue back. It makes, it's, it's, are you heating with water? Are you heating with air? All right. Furnace heats, but it heats the air. A boiler heats water and then has baseboards. So I always go through the boiler, usually with my friend Tony. We, I mean, changing the filter is nothing, but I treat every gallon of fuel that comes into my tank. I use FPPF Sludge Beyond, and I could take that filter out, and it looks like brand new. Uh, take the tip out, the nozzle out, it looks like brand new. You have to, now, I don't know how much of that stuff you do yourself if you have an oil burner or not, all right? But, you know, I would suggest also if you're running oil, furnace, or or boiler, some, I haven't seen, I'm not a boiler man, so the fact that, well, I let me put it this way. I know each one of them has a port on it to check the pressure from the pump all right so now lots of times it's a test port where it just has a plug in it all right and and, and, and you're supposed to take the plug out and then put a pressure gauge in there well we mounted a permanent pressure gauge in a test port so i know that if you're running oil they all have a test port and it's um my chair is creaking and uh and so i know an all modern well i shouldn't say all the modern boilers, the modern oil burners, let me correct that, run at 100 PSI. Excuse me, they run at 100 PSI. So they run 3,600 RPM, 100 PSI. Uh, so the nozzle design and the nozzle flow rate is all based upon 100 PSI. And so you want to look at that and you want to look at your pressure and it's so go to go to a plumbing supply house a heating supply house and you buy the the permanently mounted pressure gauge all right you put it in you may have to get a fitting for it you put it it's i love it i love it because you know my boiler is right in the basement here where my office is in the winter or anytime i go look at it see what my pressure is i could you know see what my pressure rises is the pump good all right what what have you very very important for you to have all right and it's it's of course you may be 
I don't, I don't think it would cost you 12 less than $20 to do this and you could always maintain your pressure and, and always always not maintain you could o- always watch your pressure because you have to realize that pressure in a in anything hydraulic like that it's hydraulic yes it's not a working fluid where it's a hydraulic and you're lifting up something like on a on a farm track they're lifting up a bucket or the head on a combine right but the fact of the matter is is that if that gauge starts to shake and has starts to have a quiver in it then that's an indication of something happening and it's usually suction side we're having a suction side issue on the pump all right also and i've said this to you before go around your pump on your oil burner and t- snug up all the bolts because if there's the slightest bit of of leakage there and it would be a suction side leakage not a pressure side leakage pressure side leakage you know you'd be spraying oil a suction side leakage that pump will lose its prime and will not move the oil especially if you have a long run from the boiler to that from the tank to the boiler mine is only i'm looking at now maybe eight feet all right if even that's six feet but still my bolts loosen up and all of a sudden boom i lose my prime and then uh i should lose my siphon and i can't suck oil right and then the reset pops now you know keep in mind that <clears throat> to the best of my knowledge from the heating systems i had exposure to i want to say involved with is that they all use an optical sensor a flame sensor and uh that flame sensor was years ago they used to use a stack switch so on my parents the old farmhouse of old american standard with a stack switch in there which was a bi-metallic that stood that was in the exhaust coming out of the burner and uh it would look for a certain temperature after after a certain amount of time and if you don't have so if it and if it didn't see its certain temperature it would shut the pump off the oil pump off so you don't flood the the the, the unit with, with with heating oil right and then on the modern ones well modern probably past 40 years and maybe the newer ones if you have a newer one they use an optical sensor so it looks it's usually right by the electrodes usually like i said i'm not a boiler man i have a little bit of experience with what we've had and the electrodes in the nozzle and it looks into the flame into the firebox for the flame and i know that mine is calibrated my oil control switch oil um oil control it's not this which really what i forgot they call it is calibrated for 70 i think it's 70 seconds so if it doesn't see a flame within 70 seconds of starting then it's going to shut the unit off and pop the reset so so you know when you want if you take that apart you know take take a rag and clean that flame switch right also make sure that you look at the electrodes all right that are that are that ignite the boiler because those electrodes have a certain gap they have to have a certain a certain uh uh shape to them all right and they have and they have a gap and like i have a beckett burner so it's a wild mclean gold with a beckett the beckett burner they, the slang is they call it a beckett gun so i have the specifications for the electrodes and every few years we change them and put and then gap them or if they're not if we're not changing we file them down and they get the gap correctly and then also even though i run all of this these the additives every year or two i change the nozzle and uh 
on it. Now, keep in mind, if you don't know this, that the nozzle is going to have a certain flow rate in gallons per hour in the United States. I don't know if it's metric up in Canada. There are gallons per hour, and it's going to either be a hollow or solid tip, meaning a hollow or solid spray of the uh, oil, and also it's going to give a, uh, a certain angle to it so you you know so even if you go to lowe's or home depot you better take you know because they'll all thread in like a spark plug all right but you don't want that and then also look at your unit because if it was set up properly then the pressure and the air is what is going to the air coming into the burner is what is going to give it the right mixture ratio so you want to look at that if you have any other components on that heating system you want to at least put eyeballs on them maybe put some wrenches on it and what have you another thing that gets neglected in the farm shop specifically if you have a cold storage shop or partial heat where in the winter you heat it up to 45 or 50 degrees all right and even if you have heat say when i work in there i turn it up a little bit higher is don't forget to service the shop compressor right that poor thing is usually very very neglected and 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 you know as far as the oil change is concerned the filter is concerned the belts are concerned draining water out of it with the with the with the uh air and water separator all right draining and and why i'm saying specifically in the winter because you're going to have that very large fluctuation in temperature around that compressor because when it's if it you know if you, you say well i turn the heat down in the farm shop to 40 degrees because i'm not going to be in here for four or five days and then you come and you turn it that so that that compressor is cold soaked at 40 degrees and then you go turn the heat up and then and then now it's got 120 degree air of course it's compressing it squeezing the molecules all right then you have that pressure differential makes a ton 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 of condensation there all right so a ton of condensation so you want to make sure that you keep after that and then you and 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 you uh get it ready for the winter because you know on any type of equipment extreme temperature extreme high or extreme low is what is going to really stress equip stress something mechanical or electrical all right so like on on all your equipment you want to load test your batteries if you don't have a load tester you could buy it relatively inexpensive one it's a great investment because remember when a, a purchase means all you get is a bill but an investment means you get a return on your investment and there's there's is relatively inexpensive maybe a couple of hundred dollars load tester and load test all your batteries and the equipment most batteries today people think that they're maintenance free because they have that they mimic that old delco freedom battery look but most of them have you could take the caps off and you could charge and you could you could add water slash electrolyte into it clean your terminals charge your batteries all right load test your battery i should say charge them load test your batteries that's what i meant to say on all your equipment especially i mean the things that you're going to use in the winter if you're not going to start the combine till next august then obviously you're not going to worry about you'll worry about that next summer about the batteries but if you're going to be using something feeding cattle whatever do that remember also if you have a bulk fuel tank on your farm and which most farmers do all right advertise that fuel i've been beat you guys to death for a couple of years now about advertising the fuel but even if you don't want to listen to me all right just advertise that fuel 
for at least for a um, for a cold filter plugging point and a gelling point. And then also there are products out there, and I'm going back to FPPF only because I know and I use their products, but it by no means is, is like I said, they're not a sponsor giving me anything, but they have an excellent product called Sludge Be, not Sludge, that is, that, is, that is an excellent product, Sludge Be Gone, which I use in my boiler. You could also use that in a fuel tank that's running a diesel engine. That's Sludge Be Gone, all right? And then also they have a, 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 a biocide product to kill any microbes in the fuel. So that's very, very important, especially if you have an outside storage tank, all right? And uh, you want to you kill those microbes in the fuel. You want to eliminate the sludge. And there's two different types of products for sludge elimination, as far as I understand, to do your own research, is that you have one that separates it and puts the, slu- puts the water and the sludge to the bottom, another one that dissolves it. <laughs> And she may say, I don't want the dissolving one because it's going to put it in my injectors and my equipment tanks. Well, in this particular instance, you want the dissolving one. Because remember the old Drano commercials on TV where they put it, show the hair and everything in the drain and you pour it and it dissolves it? Well, the, the FPPF one uses the theory of dissolving. And if you remember, I said with my oil burn, I could take my fuel filter out. It looks brand new put three four thousand gallons of oil and it looks brand new all right and uh well maybe not three four thousand two thousand and the thing basically is that so that if it dissolves it and makes i'm not going to say evaporate dissolves it that's very 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 important all right because you're going to pump whatever's in that storage tank into your farm tractor into your loader into your trucks whatever you, you whatever you're doing you're you're hauling grain in the winter with a semi all right you're cleaning snow whatever it may be so it's very important because you have to keep that source clean for you to help clean keep the tanks in your equipment clean which would then keep your injectors clean and everything else clean so it's a domino effect so you need to also look at that another thing that people really truly neglect is the weather stripping around doors on on vehicles and equipment clear silicone is your best friend for that uh also you know garage doors on your farm shop you know even if you don't want to use a garage door lubricant use use a spray silicone that really is a, a, a really a good a good product for that you know you don't want because like i say you know it's a lot of these a lot of places and where the listeners are it'll get 30 40 below in the winter time right so that garage door is sitting yeah it's 40 below on one side it's 40 degrees on the other side right because you have the heat down to 40 so you have an 80 degree spread differential and that you know that it, all of that stuff becomes accentuated in the winter time and i'm not even going to bother because to talk to you about the regular stuff for your vehicles your tire pressures your other stuff the thing basically is is that but i wanted to touch on a couple of things that i have on my list to do every winter or every fall before the, before the, and you know you don't have to break your neck to do this you say oh, you know really what if you if you set up properly to do your well tank pump using that for an example that's going to take you 15 minutes all right so uh if you set up properly to uh you know if you're looking at the at the, at the if you're looking at the, the the pressure on your oil burner right it's i mean if you have a gauge on there all the time a permanently mounted gauge every time it runs it happens to run and you walk by look at the pressure 
So the thing is, all these little things definitely, definitely, definitely add up. And, you know, getting back, and even if you don't have a, a portable generator, if you have a backup generator, you got to do the same things to it. you got to check it over. you got to look it out. you got to service it, right? But also keep in mind, and I've done shows on this, you could look back in the archives, is that you need to check the voltage, the frequency, and the total harmonic distortion coming out of that backup generator going into your house your building your farm your 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 dairy barn or what have you because if that is starting to skew all right then you're going to have problems and it's going to be a false sense of security thinking that it's running all right oh yeah and you, you you have 52 hertz and 117 volts or 150 volts and you have 18 or 20 percent total harmonic distortion because something is going crazy with the brushes in there or even if it's a brushless unit so you have to look at that stuff and uh you could buy a, a meter a very good meter for under 500 dollars uh, it's not just total harmonic distortion it's going to be a volt ohm meter it's going to be a, a clamp meter for amperage you use that on your well pump right so it's it's you really need to invest in a bat in in a, in a charge a battery load tester for the farm shop for the vehicles you need to you need a battery load tester you need an alternator tester lots of times you buy a battery load tester alternator tester in one because you want to make sure the alternators on your vehicles are putting and the signals clean doesn't have a weak diode and you need a good clamp meter and preferably one that reads if you have a generator even if you don't have a generator but if you're just going off the power company it reads thd total harmonic distortion and uh, i was very happy i bought mine and i know exactly what's going on and like i say under 500 dollars you have a really immediate more i think i paid 390 or something for mine last last year maybe a little bit less but you'll have a meter that's going to do multi multi-function things not just total harmonic distortion and it'll definitely be a worthwhile investment so i want to thank you so much for listening i want to thank you for hearing my saga about my my i I, uh, I guess partial fail on my on my harvest and my crop and uh, hopefully god willing the people didn't get anything i i sincerely believe that the lord spoke to this lady's heart because i know she's a christian and came and um told us about it and then charlotte and i immediately went into the field and confirmed it and then within two hours the farm was shut down and that was it I could not take a chance of maybe if I'm selling somebody, you know, uh, uh, 50 years of corn that, that 15 are no good and 20 are good or or 20, 25 are bad. I couldn't do that. I would not do that. I would never do that. And uh, that is basically it. So listen, thank you so much and uh, sorry for bending your ear with all this with all of this stuff in my life. But you have a blessed, blessed day and know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you, pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher in my beloved, beloved America. Catch you next week, God willing, if you can still put up with me. Bye-bye. <laughs>